least this week I see this guy walk up, and he's uh, he's got uh, he's, for one he's got that really white face sunscreen. You know what I'm talking about where the face looks white. He's got it on his nose, on his ears, really wide. He's about my height, kind of a short stature guy. He's got a um, oh, there we go. He's got a uh, he's got. It's not like a speedo, but it's like the really tight, small shorts. And he comes out and he he sets his umbrella up and it pops out. You know, like it flips inside out. So he fixes it and he does it again. It does it again. He fixes it again. And then finally, it's like he just he sticks it in the ground, but it's inside out. And then he uh, and then he sets his chair down, so he's got like a sliver of, of of shade, you know. So he sets his chair like three feet away from his umbrella and the sliver of shade. And then he puts his chair down, and when he sits down, I notice the back leg is kind of broken. And he just sits down in a sliver of shade and puts a radio on and just starts singing. <laughs> and I had two thoughts. One, I thought, this is kind of weird. And two, I thought, I think this is Robbie at the beach. Don't you agree? <laughs> Just, that's totally what I say. And uh, that's a true story, unlike some stories that I tell up here. But um, I also just wanted to get Robbie back for saying I was brainless last week. So anyway, um, I had a uh, question. Any of you guys ever had uh, like a house fire, even a small one, fire in your house? Nobody? All right. I'll tell you how scary it is, okay? So uh, I told this story once before. If you heard it, act like it's the first time and chuckle at it, okay? Um, one time uh, when I was a kid, I was uh, getting ready to make ice cream, and, uh, and, and, and I couldn't, you know, I, was, I wasn't as bulky as I am now, and I couldn't scoop the ice cream because it was really hard coming out of the freezer. So, uh, so my, my mom is like, she scoops it for me, and then she says, you know, when you're home, you can just heat it, and then you can get the ice cream. And so the next day, it's summer, my mom's at work, me and my brother at home, and, uh, and I'm going to get some ice cream. And so I'd stick the scoop in the microwave <laughs> because I'm going to heat it. And uh, it's one of those kind with the little things you click, you know, so it's got the metal on it. So I stick it in the microwave. I hit 10 seconds, and I turn it on. And I'm talking to my brother, and then it starts to smell smoky, and then you hear some popping, and I turn around, and flames are shooting out of the microwave because the metal is caught on fire, and then the microwave caught on fire. And I'm watching all these flames come out, and it hits me. She meant to stick the ice cream in the microwave. <laughs> and so um, the microwave survived, and I heated the ice cream, and then I had some ice cream. Um, for the next three years, our, the inside of our microwave was black on the top and bottom from this big fire. But it still kind of worked, just like two buttons didn't work. But that was pretty scary. Um, for the next month or so, we're going to dig into emotions. And St. Augustine, this early church father, this is something they said about emotions. He said, emotions are like smoke from a fire. And they tell us what's really going on in the heart. Emotions are like smoke from a fire. They tell us what's really going on in the heart. I think that's so interesting. You know, when you see smoke, you know, it doesn't just tell you, oh, hey, there's smoke. You know that somewhere underneath there, something's on fire. And the emotion, the emotions signal that something deeper is happening. The emotions signal that something deeper is happening. I was uh, doing some prep for this week, and and there's this there's this 
pastor and I listened to a lot of his sermons. And so I ended up stealing most of it because as I was reading, I was like, this is good. And so then it just kept being good. And it was better than what I would say, so I just stole most of it. Um, but it, but as I was digging through, as I was reading that, and then later as I was preparing you know, and kind of digging through the text, this was such a reflective week for me because all of a sudden I'm making long lists. And don't walk into my office right now. It would be really emotionally disturbing. Because I just like I have so many things written down about all the things that I get emotional about, not teary emotional, and then digging through why I get emotional about all that stuff and what that really says about me and who I am, and and so I hope that as we walk through this, you and you see the smoke, you know, sort of, you know, these are that's the thing that I get angry about or depressed about or or, or fearful about, and as you. Feel the emotion. I hope you'll kind of peel back a layer and and begin to figure out wh- why you feel that way, and sort of why why those things happen. Also, I, I want to say that as we walk through and we talk about depression, anxiety, fear, and a lot of other things, I, I don't I don't at all mean to imply that all these things can be fixed with a good sermon. And look, they're going to be good, you know. Um, but with a good sermon and some bootstraps, and all of a sudden you can fix something that maybe has been a problem for years and years. But I think that as you seek out, you know, and depending on on, on where you've been and and what the challenge is, as you seek out some counseling or some other help, you know, or whatever, however you may deal with some of these, I think that some of the stuff we walk through can sort of serve as bedrocks as you walk through fixing some of those things. And, And so these are some truths from Scripture that give some foundation for how you can walk through these emotions. So today we're going to cruise right past the shallow end, and, and we're going to cannonball right into the deep end and dig into this emotion we call anxiety. We call it anxiety. Scripture tends to call it worry. So in light of this, I looked into so I looked up this list of the top four things that people worry about. They did a huge study a few years ago, Cambridge Analytica. And, uh, and here are the top four things that people worry about. Number one was, you guys know what number one is, right? You want to say it? Take a guess. It's money. Yeah, it's money. That's the number one thing people worry about. People don't actually say they're worried about money, but they say they're worried about not being able to provide for this or not being able to do that, and it all comes down to, essentially, not having enough money. The second thing people are most worried about is is being alone. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um... People are, are pretty pretty worried about being alone. Uh, another one was losing a child. Losing a child, uh, literally and also emotionally. They kind of looped both those in. Losing relationship with your child, losing connection, and then, of course, physically losing a child. The other one uh, was in a lot of different ways. People were worried about their spouse, finding one, keeping one, liking the one you have. All different kind of spouse issues. People worry and and pull a lot of anxiety uh, from that. You could probably add four or five things to the list of things that you worry about more than anything else. We are just some people that worry. And Jesus has some said Jesus specifically said some good things that help guide us through some of that. Especially help guide us through this worry. Matthew six twenty five. Matthew six twenty five, it's part of this thing we call the Sermon on the Mount. I told you before that when I was a kid I thought it was the Sermon on the Mound, and I thought that Jesus was like on a pitcher's mound preaching and we were all, you know, just surrounding him in the stadium. But anyway, I was a dumb kid. Um, 
So here's what's happened. This is pretty early on. So if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, a few things happen before you get to this. Jesus is born. You remember that part? You know, that, that one's well, well documented. Jesus is born. Then he gets baptized. Then he gets tested in the wilderness. You remember that whole thing where the devil tempts him and he, he resists and, and all that kind of thing. So that happened. And then, sort of like mixed in together, he begins to call the disciples. He begins preaching a little bit. He begins healing a little bit. But he's still kind of not telling everybody who he is. He's still kind of, you know, he'll heal somebody. And, and normally if you heal somebody, like in today's culture, somebody if you actually healed somebody and somebody caught it on video, you'd be instantly famous. But in this day, you could heal somebody and then just sneak out the back door and go to the next town and nobody knew anything about you. And so Jesus was kind of doing that. And then you get to, to this. And, and some people debate about whether or not all of these things we call the Sermon on the Mount. And you can see, you, you probably have some, some footnotes in your Bible, but whether it was one big sermon or whether it was a bunch of little ones. But the whole idea is this is where Jesus is sort of becoming very public. So he's got his disciples sitting in front of him, and it's sort of like they're asking questions, and he's talking to them, but he's also talking to all these people, and he begins to preach about a whole lot of things. But what's really unique about the way that Jesus preaches is, as opposed to the Pharisees, who would just come and essentially tell you everything you're doing wrong, Jesus does this really cool thing where he comes and he, he dives into real problems that you have and real issues that you face, and he begins to address those from a biblical and a godly standpoint. So it's a pretty neat thing as you read through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the reason we preach from it so much, because it's so rich in the things that we deal with all the time. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Right before you read that, he says, that literally the line before 25 says, says, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. And then he picks up in verse 25. And the reason I tell you that is because the first word in, in verse 25 says, therefore. And he says, since you can't serve two things really well, since that's impossible, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. And so he starts you know, with this idea that you, you can't be all about money and providing for yourself and be all about God. So better just to not worry about one. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. How about that, ladies? Do not worry about your body, what you will wear. That's pretty good. That one transcends time. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? You get this idea, right? He's talking about... He says, do you, you ever thought about this? Maybe if you read this passage. But he says, uh, uh, you know, a bird has never ever put away food. It doesn't store. It doesn't plant. It doesn't grocery shop. You know, it just does things from day to day. That's all the bird is worried about. But yet somehow it's consistently taken care of. And then there's a really profound statement in verse 27. It says, can any one of you, by worrying... Add a single hour to your life. There's an, another way to translate this, and it's a little unclear, is can any of you by worrying add a single cubit to your height? And that would be great. <laughs> but you can't. Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? 
See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, not even the richest man that we've ever heard of, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the pagans, the people that don't know God, the people that, that don't fear God, Falcons fans, <laughs> just kidding. Um, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You get that? God knows that the things you're worrying about you need. Verse 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. In this passage, there are two truths, two big truths that, that I think put our anxiety and our worry into ultimate perspective. And the first one is this. And I don't have these on the screen, so you're just going to have to plug in with me here. The first one is this. Anxiety reveals that God is not our first priority. Anxiety reveals something about us. Anxiety reveals that God is not our first priority. You can begin to see how crazy our logic is sometimes. We have this idea that God can create the universe. He can make a full-grown human from, from a small seed. You know, He can do some incredible things. He can save us from eternity in hell. He can, I mean, He can do incredible things. But this energy bill, this is such a big one. And it's the middle of the summer and it gets so big and I'm worried about it every time I see a light on in the house. This exam, this car note, the problems in my relationship, my kids' choices in life, those, the God who created the universe and sustains all life, but these problems are too big for God. Our logic is just so crazy sometimes. And I think the truth that we could all say when we stop and reflect is that we don't really think that. The smoke of anxiety is not really the problem here. And the, the, the outpouring is not really the problem. When we get to the fire, we realize that the real problem isn't that God can't handle the problem. The real problem is we're not sure that we're going to like the way that God handles the problem. And, and what God wants to do with the situation may not be what we want to do with the situation. And so that's going to be a real challenge for us. And so it's not that we think that God can't handle it. We're just not sure that we want Him to handle it because we would rather get the outcome that we want. I'm often more devoted to the solution that I want, to the goals that I have, than I am to what God wants. I'll prove it to you. Here's the idea. How many of you guys, okay, by show of hands, all right, how many of you guys worry about what school my daughter is going to go to? My wife's not raising her hand, but she does worry. Yeah, she, she worries. But you guys don't worry about what school my daughter is going to go to because you don't care about my family. <laughs> no, you, you just don't worry about it. It doesn't cross your mind like it crosses my mind. I'm worried about it, you know. For one, I'd love for it to be free. I don't know if that's going to get to happen. But I worry about the cost. I worry about if it's good or it's bad. I worry about what her peer group is going to be like. I worry so much about where she's going to go and what it's going to be like. 
And, and the reality that you know as I think about it is, hey, you know, many of you, you're like, we raised kids, they turn out okay, they went to public school, they didn't go to public school. You know, I mean, they turn out okay. God is good. He'll take care of her. That's probably what you'd tell me as I told you I was worrying. And I know that truth completely, but I'm worried. For one, I'm worried that if I send her to a terrible school, you'll be like, you don't even care about your children. And so I'm a little worried about my own image, but I want good things for her. I want her to get a great education because, because I don't want her to live off of me forever. And so I, you know, I just want to set her up for success, and I want to make sure that I'm doing that. I want her to have a good peer group so she doesn't get pressured to make bad decisions, as if I can control that at all. But I think about that part of it. And then I think, what does God want for her? Are those his concerns for her? I, when I see what I think that God wants for my children is he, he wants her to follow him. He wants her to be a, a light in a dark place. He wants her to share the gospel. He, he wants a lot of different things than I want. He wants her to depend on him. Can she do that stuff in any of those places? Yeah, she can. And all the things that I'm worried about, God says, those are not the things that I even want for her. My anxiety shows that I'm more devoted to what I want than what He wants. And I still, even if I'm about His mission first, I still have a decision to make. And I still have to, to worry, not worry, I still have to think about some things and consider some options. But I'd be less anxious and I'd worry less if I put His concerns ahead of my own. And if my primary concerns were what He wants, rather than just the things that I want. The passage says that your Heavenly Father knows that there are things that you need. He knows that my daughter has to go to school. It's actually required by law. <laughs> like He knows that the, that is something that we're going to have to deal with. He knows what we need. But it says, but seek first, first, before anything else, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. The other things matter. All the secondary things that I discussed, they really matter. And they're super important. But putting the first thing first keeps the worry out of the second thing. Putting the first thing first keeps the worry out of the second thing. In other words, seek what God wants first and seek to serve Him first and then He'll begin to provide for the rest. And that's the big idea. Moving on to the second idea. Um, I'll admit that worrying about stuff often makes me feel better. I don't know about you guys, but, but if, it's like if I'm devoting energy to anxiety, I feel like I'm at least doing something. Do you guys ever feel that way? It's like checking your email even when you can't respond, just so you know what's going on. I do that all the time. It's like if I'm, if I'm, if it's, Jess has said before, and, and I think this too, if it's flooding, you know, I'd rather be at home. I feel like I could do something. <laughs> I mean, not really. I really can't hardly do anything, but just the idea that I'm there and I know what's going on. But just being out of town makes me feel like I'm powerless. Uh, we went on vacation this week, as you know. Um, I've got this great tan. I have less bags under my eyes for at least one day. I'm gorgeous. I'm feeling great. Nobody laughed at that, which was good. 
But the first day we left, I fretted about work. And I checked my email, and, uh, and, and I was concerned about all that I didn't get done before I went and all I was going to have to do when I got back. I made a couple phone calls. I sent some texts. And I just worried about a lot of things, not just work, church, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm fretting about it because I just didn't feel like I, I tied everything up before I left. And then we get to the campground, and I have almost no signal. And, uh, and the Wi-Fi is really bad. And when we're near the water, I'm too cheap to get the waterproof case. So I can't look at my phone. And I'm pretty much totally cut off. I couldn't check in. And you know what happened? The wave still crashed. The sun still rose. Everything continued to go on. The church still exists. I'm still employed. Some other things happened too. I missed a conference call. <laughs> the guy seemed to be okay with it. I made it up later. So I did miss something. I'm, I'm incredibly behind on emails. I want to just delete the account and start over. One terrible thing happened. But you know what? I'm going to go to work to Monday. Monday I'm going to deal with it. And, and I think we're going to be able to move on. And so all that happened. And worrying about it didn't change one little thing. The bad stuff would have still happened. The good stuff would have still happened. And worrying about it didn't change a thing. And that's the reality, is worrying doesn't change anything. It doesn't change a thing. Jesus' question in verse 27 was, get this, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Can you add anything by worrying? Will worry actually add to your life? It will not. Actually, it will actually shorten your life. That's the reality. Many doctors agree that, that you will shorten your life the more that you worry. 75%, I just pulled this, this is totally random, so this could be totally wrong, but let's assume that it's right. Let's assume it was good research. 75% of all doctor visits are stress or anxiety related. How about that? 75% of all doctor visits are stress or anxiety related. Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. Many people, uh, many people, almost no one dies of overwork, but people do worry themselves literally to death. Heart attacks, other different kinds of things. It's a significant thing. And what anxiety does is anxiety promises us that if we devote time to it, then things will change. If we worry enough, Something will change, but that's just a big lie. And it doesn't change a thing. But you know what does change things? You know who changes things? God has the power to change things. It says He closed the flowers. They never wake up and think about when they're going to get dressed. You don't see a bunch of mirrors out there in the field and they're all just circling through. Right? They don't build massive shopping malls all devoted to worrying about what you're going to wear. No, but, but he closed them and they look great. Oh, gosh. He, sorry. He feeds the birds. He takes care of them. They don't have Walmart. They don't have like the bird Walmart. They give bird feed at Walmart. But even if you don't put it out, the birds are fine. He takes care of them. He handles all your problems. That's a promise from Scripture. God has the power to change things. You know what He promises about 
what he promises to us for about, you know, for all the 99 things that we worry about, he makes us a promise for one or two of those. And he says, each day has enough trouble of its own. And I know you're thinking, oh, that's what I'm worried about. (laughs) Every day has trouble of its own, and that's what I'm worried about. You guys do me a favor. Um, Look at, look at somebody near you, and I just want you to tell them something. Go on your most somber, serious face, all right? Nobody's doing it, but do it in your brain, okay? Um, look at somebody near you, and I want you to say this to them. Something bad is going to happen tomorrow. Do that? Something bad is going to happen tomorrow. And that will be the truest thing that you will say to the people next to you this whole morning. Because something bad is absolutely going to happen. Every day has troubles. And now you worry about a whole lot of things that don't go bad, that probably 99 times out of 100 will not go bad. You worry about a whole lot of things that don't go bad. You worry about a whole lot of things that don't come true. But a couple of those things that you worry about, they do go wrong. And he promises that they will go wrong. But the promise is things will go wrong, but I got it. That's God's promise to us. But I can take care of those things. And he says, not only do I have it, not only can I take care of it, but I want to. There's this idea in this passage where he moves from like the simpler to the greater. And, and the idea is, more than he wants to feed the birds, you mean so much more to him than the birds. More than he wants to take care of their basic needs, he wants to take care of your basic needs. And then when he talks about the flowers, he says more than he wants to clothe the flowers, he wants to take care of all of your needs. He wants to make sure that you are beautiful and adored and well cared for. And way more than he wants to do those things. And look how well he does those things. And way more and way better than he will do and wants to do those things, he wants to do them for you. Charles Spurgeon, this real famous preacher, there's a statement that comes from him. He was a guy who struggled significantly with anxiety, if you you read some of his more personal writings. But Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. Only empties today of its strength. So I think if, if we're going to have a good parting thought, it's, it's let's get some strength back for today. Today we will have problems. Tomorrow we will have problems. But today we also have something to do. And we have people to enjoy and things to accomplish. And we need to be present for that stuff. And worrying about tomorrow only pulls from that. And so I think if you're going to change what's been for some of us a lifelong problem, and maybe worry anxiety is not your your chief one, but we're going to hit an emotion that you don't deal as well with, and if you're going to make a significant change for something that's potentially been a lifelong problem, it's going to take more than these 25, 30 minutes. It's going to take more than this. It's going to take you, you taking these few real bedrock truths from Scripture and letting them guide you when the anxiety or the worry begins to take hold. And when the fire comes, you're ready with some truth. So here they are. Here are those truths. And I already said them. I'm just going to repeat them again. The truths are this. When we seek God's wants first, when we seek God's wants first, 
He provides everything else that we need. When we seek what He wants first, He provides everything else that we need. The truth is that the God that handles your eternity can handle your day-to-day. Doesn't that make great sense? The God that handles your eternity can handle your day-to-day. And then the second truth is this. Worrying doesn't change a thing. Worrying doesn't change anything. It never has. It never will. And despite, if you're like me, that temporary relief you get just from worrying, it doesn't change anything for the positive. The only thing it may do is make things just a little bit worse in the long run. Worrying doesn't change a thing. But God does. He wants to. He can. And He will. That's His desire. And that's a truth that you can rest in. Let me pray.